Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We've been in a sermon series called Longing to Belong. And so we've been, uh, this is I think week number four as we've been going through it, and um, would just encourage you, if you haven't uh, kind of been with us from the whole beginning, go back online and catch uh, those messages, because each one has been one that has been able to build on the other and has addressed kind of the practical longings that we have in our life and the way that God brings belonging out of that. And we began with Pastor Tom's message on our uh, longing for heaven, our longing for even heaven on earth, and that sense of how we would pray in the Lord's Prayer, that uh, when you surrender your life to Jesus, and when you're uh, born again, or when you're made new, all the different ways that that language is used, that you, as Paul would say, become a citizen of heaven, that you are kind of a, an alien or a sojourner on earth. You feel like you don't really fit because you don't really fit anymore. You were made for heaven and eternity, and there's a longing in us for that. And so we're invited to go and to grow into all the plans and purposes of God for us now in preparation for just enjoying his presence later. And then we moved through... Uh, the next week, just talking about the importance of where you are, the important, um, importance about where God has you right now, even if it's in a difficult season, even if it's in a place that you didn't want to be or that you don't want to be any longer, that there is a design and a purpose that God has for you for that time and that any place can become sacred space when we invite the presence of the Lord and participate in the move of his spirit. And then last week, Pastor Beth um, spoke on the, the way that we are designed to relate, the way that the, we have actually been uh, created and designed to relate to God and to relate to one another and how to tackle some of the things that kind of get in the way of that. And we're going to be building a little bit on some of those concepts this morning because we're going to be turning our attention to an emotion that I know that you have all experienced at some point. And it's that feeling or that sense or that emotion of loneliness. And even as I say that, like that might settle as a heavy weight on your heart this morning. That might be exactly where you are. Maybe in an area of your life or maybe you would feel that way in the wholeness of your life. But we're going to talk about God's divine design for that emotion and what he wants to do in our lives really as a result of that. In 2003, uh, I moved from Southern California uh, to Colorado, and the place that I was moving from was a place that I had, for the, the most part, had grown up and been formed as an adult. It's where I began ministry. I had been in full-time ministry for four years at that point at kind of a larger church in Southern California, and as far as what you would look for in what was going on in the church and what was going on in my life, everything looked good. Like, the metrics were good, life was good, even my reputation and influence in the community that I was in. That was something that was positive, and I enjoyed that. But then the Lord began to do something in me that quickly changed the trajectory of my life. And from a morning where I had woken up and he had spoke a specific word to me, to me being packed up and leaving California for Colorado, it was six weeks 
It was six weeks from when God spoke to me leaving that job, packing up all my stuff, and moving to Colorado to be a part of a church plant over on the Front Range. It was a really quick six weeks. Now, I was in my mid-20s at the time. I was single. I was mobile. And everything that I had fit into a pretty small U-Haul trailer. So, like, it would take a lot longer than six weeks for me to move anywhere now. It'd take me that long just to try to figure out what I didn't want to take with me. But at that time, I was a little bit more lean in the way that I was living life, and I was out of there quickly. And so I arrived in Colorado. I quickly moved into my new pastoral duties, and I had a church that I was a part of. I was coaching within the community, and in a short amount of time, I was uh, uh, teaching in the community as well. And so I had a number of different roles and responsibilities, and I had a network of people around me, and all of those things were healthy and growing and vibrant. But I was lonely. I, I was deeply lonely. There were relationships in my life that I, I was missing. And I wasn't alone, right? I wasn't alone. I had people all around me. But I was lonely. And for many of us, that's not a foreign thought. For many of us, we can be in a group, we can be in a setting, we can have family and even, even friends around us, and there can be this deep sense of loneliness. There was a longing for relationship in me that was not being fulfilled. And there were things that I had hoped for for my life that hadn't come to pass. And so in that place, I was feeling this sense of loneliness. And just as we would pause before we move on this morning, like, have, have you felt that way? Do you relate to that? You know, maybe you have a longing for, for love and companionship. Maybe you have a desire for a spouse, and that's not something that has come to pass. And it's still kind of like out there, and it's still something that you desire, but it just seems like, God, is that ever going to be for me? Or maybe you're in a place where you have that type of relationship in kind of in facto, but it, like it's not vibrant, it's not healthy, it's not really what you had thought it was going to be. It's actually uh, something that's challenging for you. Maybe you're in need of like a really close friend. You've got a lot of acquaintances. You've got people who kind of run in your circles. You've got people that you know that have common interests, but you don't have that one person who knows you so deeply that you, that you feel that type of rich connection. Or maybe you're the only one like you in whatever your group is. For me, when I was at that church plant, I was the only mid-20-year-old uh, single in, in the church. And then I was a pastor, and so most people related to me as a pastor, and, and it's hard to be friends with your pastor. Like, there was all kinds of challenges for me in that place, and I feel like I'm pretty likable, but there were challenges. There was hindrances to some of those things, and maybe you're in that place. Maybe you're like, you're the, you're the only one. You're the only believer in your circle of friends, or you're the only demographic in the group that you run with, your place of employment. Those things are, those are, are real and they can make us feel alone, isolated. We can have this sense of being lonely even if we're not in a place that's alone. And what I have found in my own life and just walking with people is we have a tendency to make um, silly decisions when we're lonely, right? When, there, when there's a longing that can't be fulfilled, when there's a, a sense of wanting to be connected and it seems like we're just, we, we can't kind of make that connection, man, we'll start grasping for all kinds of things to take that place, all kinds of lesser things to somehow settle. And sometimes we just do things that we, we normally wouldn't. 
So I'd been in Colorado for a couple of years, and I found a deep longing in me for friendship. I had people that related to me as a pastor. I had people that related to me as a coach. I had people that related to me as a teacher and as a peer. I had people around me, but nobody related to me as just Ben, right? I was Coach Ben or Pastor Ben or teacher. Like, it was always something else, but, like, there's a longing in us to just, like, does anybody just know me and just like that me? And so there was this longing for friendship that was just kind of out of reach, and I made kind of a, a silly decision, a rash decision, decision for me. Uh, I enrolled in graduate school. I had no desire to go back to school when I left Bible college. I had no desire for another degree or higher education. But in 2004, I enrolled in Denver Seminary. I took out a student loan and started a program to pursue a degree that I didn't want in a school I had no intentions of going to because Pastor Ben just needed a friend. <laughs> I took out a student loan to find friends. I st it was a student lonely is what it was. <laughs> and it took years to pay that off and all I was looking for was like a legitimate connection. Have you, have you made any poor decisions, rash decisions, silly decisions out of like loneliness and just trying to find a way to like fill that? I want to encourage you this morning that there is a divine design to that emotion. There's a divine design to loneliness, and God uses it for our good and for our growth when we respond to it correctly. But it's not like our preferred emotion. And so oftentimes we look to just try to like get that away as quickly as possible, and we miss the opportunity to allow God to do what he would do in us. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your living word for us today. Lord, your word describes itself as something that is so sharp, so surgical, that it can divide between the motivations of our heart and the, uh, the, the activity of our life. And so we ask that you would do that today. And for those places where we have this sense of isolation, this sense of aloneness, Lord, this sense where when we're honest, there's a, a, a lonely element to that area or to that place. Lord, we ask that you would come in and that you would expose your divine design for that and that you would uh, give us an invitation to experience your goodness in that place. And Lord, that we would have the courageous faith, the courageous hearts to take those steps in Jesus' name. Amen. If your Bible's out, you can go ahead and go to Psalm chapter 25. We're going to look at a couple of verses there this morning. We're going to jump to Proverbs after that, and then we're going to bounce back to Psalm. So if you're like, okay, i got to warm up and get my calisthenics going, that's the pathway that we're going to be following this morning. But there, there is a divine design to that feeling of loneliness, and loneliness is designed to draw us out. It's one of the things that we're going to uh, uh, kind of land on this morning as we look at God's word. Loneliness, that feeling, is intended to draw us out. It's intended to draw us out towards God, and it in turn invariably draws us out towards people as a result of that. But it, need, it, it really is intended to go in those two directions, but primarily to God first and then out 
to people. There's a right way to go ahead and do this. But what I have found in my own life, and maybe this is something that you can relate to, a lot of times when I start to feel lonely, I make the assumption that I am alone, right? And sometimes we've got bad thought trails that we start walking down that maybe we deserve to be that way or that nobody likes us. We start inferring things about our lives that that aren't actually true, but it's easy to slide into those types of thinking. And because I'm lonely and I feel alone, now I begin to withdraw into isolation, and then it gets really dark in that place, doesn't it? In fact, so many times in Scripture where it talks about iron sharpening iron, a three-chord strand not being broken, there's so many pictures of community that says, hey, don't be drawn into isolation because that is where death is waiting. But oftentimes when we begin to feel lonely, a couple things happen to us. Either we will begin to retreat and find ourselves isolated, or we will grasp at anything to try to make that feeling go away. We'll grasp at distracting relationships, unhealthy relationships, toxic relationships. We'll grab at stuff to take the place of relationship and we'll just drive ourselves into work. We'll just pursue influence or power or money. We'll take up another hobby and it's just, we're gonna go deep dive there. Or we'll convince ourselves that maybe we don't need anybody and we don't want anybody and we're just fine just the way that we are. And if we could move to the moon and live there alone, that that's really what we would do. Sometimes we run from healthy relationships because they're hard. We sabotage our own relationships because of our own way of thinking. We look to replace relationships with lesser pursuits. See, we can respond to loneliness in a number of different ways. But it is intended to actually draw us out, not to cause us to retreat. In Psalm chapter 25, the psalmist links this idea for us together. Starting in verse 16, he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Turn to me. Like that picture in Scripture is kind of like turning face to face. It's like, look at me. Posture yourself towards me. And be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. And if we take the verse just out of the context here, you can almost read this as this is just like a general invitation to anybody who would do that, right? Because it doesn't address the subject in verse 16, you could read this as the psalmist just saying, hey, anybody, right? Anybody look at me, anybody show up, just... And whoever, like, answers the call into the vacuum of space, like, if they show up, then that's, that's really what I'm looking for. But if you actually read the psalm, the subject of invitation, the cry of the heart is for the Lord's face to turn towards the psalmist. There's something about the season of the life that the writer is in that when you read the context of the psalm, like, there's opposition, there's affliction, there's offense, there's brokenness. There's enmity, there's strife, there's conflict, there's loss, there's grief. There's all of this like the, the, like the yucky stuff of life and he's feeling swallowed up in that. And then there is this little place where it says, turn to me for I am lonely and afflicted. And the cry is not just nondescript. It's not just, hey, is there anybody out there and whoever shows up is gonna be fine. It's an actual cry. It's a plea from the heart that says, God, will you be present in this mess? And it's finally the lonely heart that causes him to cry. I am lonely and afflicted. Here's what I found about uh, like affliction, trouble, offense, difficulty, challenge, conflict. 
there's like a sliding scale of when we are usually likely to ask God to intervene. More often than not, if there's challenges in your life, it's only when you feel like the tipping point of power is out of your hand where you're like, okay, I better call him back up. Jesus, you want to come be part of this? Like, that's, that's our tendency. That's how many of us grew up, right? When the tough get going, or when the going gets tough, then the tough get going, right? You're not hurt, rub dirt on it. Like, many of us grew up that way. I had a wrestling uh, friend, or a coach, uh, who was a friend of mine who coached wrestling, and he would tell his wrestlers, uh, oh, coach, hey, my elbow hurts, and he would say, uh, tape an aspirin on it. Right, and that was his way of saying, just like, stop being a baby, like, grow up, like, rub dirt on it. Uh, I, we had a wrestler who didn't connect the dots and went home and had an ailment and told his, uh, his mom, hey, I need to tape an aspirin on this. And his mom was confused and called the coach and was like, hey, I haven't heard of this before. Is this kind of like a, a new technique? And how do you do that? And he was just like, wow. <laughs> just give him an aspirin the regular way, and we're just going to call it good. See, for a lot, a lot of challenges and difficulty in your life, you're willing to kind of rise up to it and try to meet it in your own strength. That's actually one of our tendencies. It's not helpful for us. There's a place where that crosses paths with resiliency when we rely on the Lord in that place, and that's profoundly helpful for the kingdom of God and for your own growth and maturity. But for the most part, we try to do that on our own. But when we're lonely, when we're lonely, See, loneliness isn't something you can fix. When you, when you are lonely, even when you're not alone, you're in a group, you're in a gathering, you have connection, you have friendship, you have family, like whatever that is, but there's a sense of loneliness. Like you can't work hard enough, you can't be powerful enough, you can't, so, there's something so desperate and you know that you can't do it, that where, where does it take us? It draws us out and it draws us to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Turn to me. Look at me. Like, God, are you here? Like, are you here? Are you present? Do you know? Like, there, there's finally this desperation in the psalmist where because of loneliness, there's this invitation for the Lord to be there. And it's designed that way. The loneliness in your life is designed first to draw you to a place where you're just like so desperate that you're clamoring for the presence of God. And you don't have to work hard once your heart is in that place to bump into the presence of God. That was what he always intended to begin with. In fact, more often in scripture, if you see that, that phrase, turn to me or seek me or draw near or come to me, more often in scripture, that is recorded as God's word to his people. He's intended for that. He invites that. But sometimes we get so wrapped up or bound up in the life that we're living that it's not until we have this desperate loneliness that we're like, oh man, something's missing. And there will always be a longing for God in your life. There will always be a longing that you bump into that reminds you of your need for Jesus. It's designed that way. 
even as you would have growing, maturing, and developing relationships with others that are healthy in the way that they're supposed to be, they will always be less than fulfilling that first need in you to be connected to the Lord. And so this loneliness is designed, designed to draw us into relationship with God, and you will always have a longing for that. And for some of you today, when we start talking about loneliness, maybe your friendships are rich and deep and your uh, relationship with your spouse has never been better. Your interaction with your kids, like you couldn't, you couldn't think of a way that you would want it to change, but there's still this sense of, man, like what, like what is off? And it could just be this morning that Jesus is inviting you to press back in close to him. Because as things have been healthy and whole in your life, you've drifted a little bit because it's easy to do that when things are going well, but God primarily allows loneliness to be a part of our emotive experience because it draws us in longing for him, and he's the only one who can fill that longing. If you move to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, we're going to be looking at a verse that starts to give a comparison and contrast of what relationship looks like with people. And we're going to see how this intersects and what the Lord kind of intends for that area of our life. But in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, uh, the statement goes like this, one who has reliable, or excuse me, unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. And it's just a general statement about what you could observe in somebody's life, that if they surround themselves with people who are unreliable, not people that you can put your weight on or that you can count on, that it's only a matter of time where you go to put your weight on them and they're not there for you. It's a, it's, a, it's a very blanket statement that there are people in your lives that are going to disappoint you and let you down. And can I tell you, everybody that you know at some point is going to prove themselves to be unreliable to you. It doesn't mean that they're holy that way or that they're always that way, but even the person who is your closest friend, your best confidant, the one who knows you the best, at some point they have or they will disappoint you in some way. They're going to come up short. But the proverb is primarily pointing to the idea that we have a tendency to surround ourselves with unhealthy relationships. And that when that becomes the whole of the way that we go about living our life, it's only a matter of, of, a matter of time to our life being in ruin as a result of that. And then there's kind of this antithesis statement that comes with it that says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That there are those who would be brought into your life that would be, they, they would be such good friends, it would be like your family. And maybe you have a friend like that or a group of friends like that. Or maybe you had a friend like that and that a relationship's been estranged. Maybe you're familiar with it in the lives of others, but you haven't experienced it yourself. But it's talking about kind of the, the way that there are unhealthy and broken friendships and relationships in our lives, but that there is a way to experience something that's better than that, something that is whole and goes even beyond like the duty or the requirement of family. It's, man, we are like brothers. We are like, she's my sister. Like we are connected. And it goes beyond just kind of the normal, regular human interactions and friendships. And that can be a hard one for us to think about if we've had a lot of bad relationships. The idea of having a friend that sticks closer to a brother and you're like, man, I don't even like my brother. Right? When you start using familial language and your family of origin is broken and so jacked up that you're just trying to escape it without the trauma that should be coming with it. 
Like, that's real. Those are real things. And there's a longing in us for friendship, for genuine friendship that knows us for who we are and not the role that we have or the responsibilities that we have or the title that we have. There, there's a deep longing for that type of friendship. And in my season of life where I was like taking out student loans because I was lonely, I was looking for a friend who would just like me the way I am. Just like Ben, not Ben the anything else. There was something, there was a longing in that to find that. But can I tell you, nobody does this better than Jesus. Let me redirect you back to the right starting point. Nobody sticks closer than Jesus. In fact, a lot of commentators would bring about that type of statement to this. They would say, hey, the one who sticks closer than a brother is Jesus. Nobody does it better. It's the reason why Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh, the incarnation. I'm going to get so close in your face. You're going to see me. You're going to feel me. You're going to touch me. I'm going to be there with you. Nobody does it better than Jesus. In John chapter 4, when you've got the woman at the well, nobody, nobody drew near. Nobody was a better friend than Jesus, a woman whose every romantic relationship was broken and jacked up and whose social standing was obliterated, where there was no friendship in the community and there was no real relationship in any other area of her life. She met Jesus and Jesus stuck. Nobody does it better than Jesus. The woman in adultery who was ostracized from the community, who was put on display and who was brought to Jesus for judgment and found instead grace, not an excuse for what she did and not a permission to keep on doing it, but the grace to be received and loved, valued and forgiven. Nobody sticks closer than Jesus. When you look at the way that he interacted with those who nobody else would interact with, nobody did it better than Jesus. And one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is when he healed a leper, somebody who had a skin disease that was so contagious that they weren't allowed to live in the community. Lepers had to live in a leper colony outside of the city. They had to live there. They had to be there. And if they ever ventured out to where the regular populace was, everywhere they went, they had to announce with a loud voice, I'm unclean, stay away. Some of us feel that way. Some of us feel that way even in our own community. You don't have to walk into Walmart and yell out your dirty, language or your, your, your dirty um, laundry but it was in the newspaper yesterday. Like we know a little bit of what that feels like. It's not to the degree of that, but with the leper, you, weren't, you couldn't touch, you couldn't be, there was no human connection. And one of my favorite stories is a leper who is crying out to be healed. And Jesus healed on so many occasions where he just spoke, right? Just, you're healed, you've been forgiven, you're set free. The guy who was crippled his whole life, Jesus just said, hey, pick up your mat, roll it up and go home. And the guy just did it. There was, there was nothing else to it. But when he healed this leper, he touched him. He touched the untouchable. A family who hadn't hugged him, a community that hadn't received him, Jesus was closer to him than a brother. Like nobody does it better than Jesus. He sticks to the unfaithful. If you think about Peter being reinstated after denying Jesus three times and Jesus comes to him and restores relationship. Why? Because Jesus is closer than a brother. 
and the interruption of the direction of Paul's life where he's going to persecute the church and Jesus shows up and says, Paul, what's the deal, man? We've got to correct this. That's a paraphrase for you. But the conversion and the calling of Paul, man, why? Because nobody sticks closer to you than Jesus. Listen, you have to start there. The longing in your heart to have right and whole relationships has to first draw you to God. Your loneliness first has to draw you to God. You have to be connected in right relationship to Jesus. Otherwise, the rest of it, it will not last. At sooner or later, people will be unreliable and sometimes not from any intention on their own. But nobody does it better than Jesus. The outcasts, the, the estranged, the marginalized, the unclean, the unkind, the overlooked, the unwanted, man, Jesus sticks close. So let him do that. Psalm 68, verses 5 through 6. We'll look at this passage of Scripture and then start to move towards our close. But in this, the psalmist begins to speak about God and the way that he, uh, the way that he moves in broken relationships. The way that he addresses and rewrites those types of things. In Psalm chapter 68 as the psalmist is writing about who God is, he says that he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God and his holy family. In our broken relationships, in our broken families, in those broken interactions, and in all of those places, God has a way of stepping in and he begins to write. He begins to heal. He begins to make whole. But we start with him. We start being primarily drawn to him in our loneliness. But then look at what the result is as he begins to work in us and work in those around us. Verse 5 says, God sets the lonely in families. It is God's intention to not just allow the loneliness in your life to draw you to him where you can be healed and you can be made whole, but it is his intention to then from that place deposit you in a community of believers, a community of followers where you are now in a whole and restored family. He draws us to himself and then he connects us to his people. Your longing for relationship will always include a longing that moves you towards others and towards believers. It's designed that way. It's why when Adam was in the garden and he had God all to himself, that God said, this is not finished. This is not good yet. It's not done. Because that community component is necessary for us, and it's for our benefit, it's for our encouragement, our growth, our maturation, for our care. I was reading this week, there's kind of a new term in the idea of considering a person's holistic health and wellness, and it's called social frailty. Social frailty. If you run in some of the medical communities, there's a thing called physical frailty or physical vulnerability. And it's kind of like this scalable thought about how vulnerable or susceptible somebody is to a physical decline that is really uh, harmful to their care. And a lot of times they'll look at people who are older, people who are prone to pre-existing ailments, people who have to go through some type of traumatic event or a surgery, 
and begin to kind of weigh out the what is that you know what what kind of, uh, of of necessary intervention will this person need to be physically well to be physically whole to be cared for to be brought back together but what they're finding is that the consideration of the social construct around the person is just as important as the physical markers so you might be looking at having to go in and go through through uh, some type of procedure, and they may look at your blood, blood pressure, they may be looking at your heart, they may be taking all of these physical factors into place, but you know what they're going to start asking as well before you go through any of that? Do you live alone, or do you have somebody with you? Is there anybody who can provide care for you, or are you on your own? Do you have anybody to talk to? Is there anybody to listen, listen to you? Where do you get advice? Do you have any social construct around you? Do you have any actual practical community care, relational support, or are you wholly isolated? Because what happens is in isolation and in that kind of that place of being disconnected, the physical vulnerability goes through the roof. And so they're starting to look at this in a more holistic way that says, hey, you... You've got to have community. You've got to have care. You have to have connectivity. And they're not coming from a biblical framework. They're not coming from the last three weeks of this series. They're just looking at it from a practical, natural way that the world works. And they're saying, hey, you know what? People who are connected and seem to have healthy relationships, hmm, they're doing a little bit better. Because we were designed that way. And the challenge is, is, is really in where we're able to receive that and move into that. You know, the loneliness that you experience either today or at times, you're going to have to decide how you're going to respond to that. Is it going to be something that draws you close to the Lord and then allows Him to connect you to others? Or are you going to withdraw into isolation and look to replace it with some other type of activity or thing? And that temptation, that tendency, that's, it's really strong. And the reason why is because you've been hurt by somebody. You've been hurt by somebody. You know, for some of you, it was a family member. For somebody, it was a trusted friend. Some of you have had marriages and families that have been just obliterated. They've fractured and broken. Some of you, that's your history over and over. Like there's, there's all kinds of challenges to this. And then you can add the church hurt that often comes with it. I've been, I've been in the church my whole life. My dad was a pastor, grew up in the church. I've said this before, and it's the honest truth. My deepest wounds and offenses to my person have all been at the hands of the church. My deepest betrayals, my deepest disappointments, it's always been, always been somebody who loved Jesus. And having to like reconcile that, having to walk through healing with that, and having grace for people to make mistakes, that's a really hard road to walk. And it's an impossible road to walk if you don't walk it with the Lord. You have to be drawn to Him first and come to the, really to reconcile the great grace and forgiveness that has been offered to you. And then you can begin to extend that to others. But here's the, here's the other side of that. The most beautiful expressions of authentic love, the most deeply compassionate interactions, the most surprising and unbelievable generosity, and the most authentic expressions of grace 
I've all experienced in the church as well. There's a way that it's done right. There's a way that it's done right. And the loneliness that would be in us at times is always to draw us to the Lord so that out of that place, He can draw us together and we experience His wholeness and His healing in His presence. I've got a few um, questions I'm going to ask you to entertain as we close. So if you would go ahead and stand. Worship team, if you would come forward to the platform. We've got a series of questions that I'm going to ask you to just kind of consider and maybe imagine your life in view of these lenses. And there'll be a way for us to respond to the Lord's movement in our life this morning. And the first one is just a, a really simple question as we start talking about what it feels like to be lonely. And we would all be familiar with that experience to some degree. But here's the question, in, in what area today, in what area of your life is there a sense of loneliness? You know, maybe you're in that season that I was in years ago where I had a longing for a, a spouse and to be a husband. Or maybe you long for a, a genuine friend. Maybe your family of origin has been so fractured that you don't, you don't actually really have family around or involved in your life and there's a, a longing in you for, for a family the way that you would think that it's supposed to be or the way that you read about it in scripture. Maybe there's a longing in you to not be the only one, the only person in your demographic, in your gathering of friends or the place where you work, the only follower of Jesus in your group of friends or in your family. You know, where would you be lonely? And maybe it's, it's not that you're alone. You know, for some of us, our loneliness comes from a, a, an actual disconnect. We're not, we don't have people around us in our lives. Sometimes we've got people all around us, and we still have that sense of loneliness. Maybe a good question for you to consider today is where have you sabotaged relationships in your life? out of fear or doubt or maybe it started to get uncomfortable because you were being known too well and it's easy to blow it up and to run off mad than it is to actually press into being fully known. Maybe right now you're chasing distractions and stuff to just like fill that sense, trying to numb that sense, make that loneliness go away. Maybe you're pursuing just finances. Maybe you're pursuing a promotion. Maybe you're just working like crazy and you're finding some type of validation from that. Maybe you're pointing all of your direction outward and you're blaming this and that and them. Lord, in those areas of our life, would you give us the courage to be drawn to you first? Lord, that we would, that we would parrot the language of the psalm and we would say, turn to me. Jesus, turn to me. God, look, look upon me, see me, see my need. And Lord, may we hear you in turn inviting us, Lord, that we would hear, son, daughter, look to me, come to me, draw near to me, seek me, see me, I do see you. Lord, there would be something in our loneliness that would draw us to you.
Jesus, nobody sticks closer to you. Nobody does this better. Lord, for hearts that need to return to you, would you draw them near to you today? Lord, for hearts that need to confess you as Lord and Savior, to receive salvation and newness of life, may they do that today. Maybe you're in a different place than that. Maybe right now you've never been closer to Jesus. Your spiritual vibrancy is like something that you've never known. Your relationships with your spouse or your parents or your kids, like your family is just like in a great place. You've never had more friends and you've never been more authentic in the way that you present yourself to the world and you're just killing it relationally. Do you have eyes to see those who don't have that? Because the design that God has for us is to draw us into right relationship with Him and draw us into right relationship with one another and then to have eyes to see those who don't have that and that we would be the hands and feet, that we would see the lonely and that we would draw near to them to invite them to draw near to the Lord. Maybe some of us this morning, Lord, would need you to give us eyes to see Give us eyes to see the lonely and a willingness to draw near to them, to draw near to them this week. Not because somehow we have the answer, but we know the one who does. And so Lord, as we would make ourselves available, we would invite them to draw near to you, Jesus. Nobody does it better. Nobody does it better. So Lord, in our areas of need, let us draw near to you first. In the areas of need that we see in our community, let us invite people to draw near to you. And Lord, as you work in us, work through us to set the lonely in a family that's healthy and whole and enjoys your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've got three action steps for you this week to consider. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you can snap a picture or you can catch these all online or on Facebook later this week. The first is consider the area or areas of life where you begin to feel lonely. Just be aware of those. Respond in this way. Invite Jesus to meet you in that lonely place. And then as you draw near to him, allow him to lead you to draw near to others in response.